We are relentless rebels, all of us. That our hearts want to stray. They are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, as the old hymn says. That hymnal goes on. Here's my heart, Lord, what? Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God knows we're prone to wander. And if you're wandering today, and you realize, I'm wandering, just come home. Not a single person on earth right now can follow Jesus perfectly all the time, every moment. As Pastor Daniel just said, we're prone to rebellion. We see the shiny, new, easy road, and it's enticing. Maybe today you've strayed a bit. It's not too late to come back to Jesus. When you do, stick close to him. Remember that you don't have to walk alone. You have the Lord to lean on and to follow when you don't know the way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 31 as he continues his message, A New Leader. So the idea of courage and strength, it's been commonly said, the difference between a coward and someone who is courageous is what they do with their fear. They both have fear. But a coward is somebody who lets the fear drive and someone who's courageous is somebody who turns the fear back to the Lord and trusts the Lord and step out. But both people have fear. So what we do with our fear matters. And I love this exhortation, verses six and eight. And the Lord, he is the one who goes with you. He goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So again, Circle that in your neighbor's Bible. Tattoo it on your forehead. Tattoo it on your neighbor's forehead. I mean that hypothetically, of course. Verse 9, look what it says. So Moses wrote this law and he delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles... When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Now, what Moses does here is he places this law in, he wrote this law, and he gives it to the priests, the sons of Levi. So the Levites, as we know them from the Bible, right? So Jacob had these 12 sons. One was Levi. Their descendants, their job was to care for the things of God and the ark and the tabernacle, that mobile worship tent, and then ultimately the temple that would be built, designed by the Lord through David. Solomon was who got to build it and dedicate it, right? But every seven years, 
When everyone gathered together, notice it says in the year of release. So this was the, what we would call the Sabbath year. Every seventh year, all the debts were forgiven. Ultimately, at the every 50 or the seven seventh, the year of Jubilee, where everything was given. But there was also a smaller one every seven years. When slaves were freed and all this stuff. And on the Feast of Tabernacles, which would happen in the fall time, September, October, everybody would show up and they would read the entire law. Now, you might say, well, that sounds kind of boring. You know, like, can you imagine if I just read you all of the book of Deuteronomy? But you have to remember that in this day and age, everyone didn't have a Bible in their hands. Everyone didn't have like, well, I like listening to the Bible with a guy with an English accent, or I like it with a woman with an Australian accent, and I like it sounding like Shakespeare, and I like it sounding very contemporary, and, you know, it's like nobody had Bibles. So the only way for people to learn the Bible was to gather together every seven years, and then people would memorize sections, and they would gather together and talk about it, but nobody held Bibles. And so this was God's way of making sure that the word got into the people. And so as everyone gathered together, now, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three pilgrim feasts where everyone gathered together. And on every seven year, they had to read them the whole law. And what's beautiful, not only the men, but the women, the little ones, the strangers within their gates. And notice what God's plan is. The reading of the word, the studying of the word of God in the middle of verse 12, that they may hear that they may learn what to fear the Lord your God and to carefully observe all the words of this law. So what is God's aims? One, that we fear him and that we know how we ought to live. Now, I realize that fearing the Lord isn't something that's really all that popular today. But you have to realize that the Bible teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? So the entry point to wisdom is fearing God. Now, I've said this many times here. I repeat it almost the exact same way because I really like the way it makes sense to me. That we should fear God in at least two ways. One, we fear God's authority. Why? Because God is the judge of all the earth. God has the right to say, this is right and this is wrong. Now, some people say, well, I don't want to fear God. I don't want to fear his authority. Why would I want to fear a God that I love? Now, I'll give you an example. All of us fear authority. And I know it's true because if you're driving... And all of a sudden, there's a white car that's got black and lights on it. What do you do? You you hit your brakes, right? Ten and two, right? And you keep looking in your rearview mirror, right? Like, and because I have a a nefarious background, I start worrying. Like, do I have anything in the car? Like, that I'm supposed to have? And I go through this whole thing because I've been there, you know. And and I always say, now what I realize, I feel bad for police officers because everywhere they are, they're driving the speed limit. You know, because anytime, you know, the police officers, everyone slows down. Like it says 25 and like a police officer, you're going 22 miles an hour. Like, now, why do we fear a police officer? He has the authority to pull you over or she has either pull you over. They have the authority given by the county or the state or whatever. And they can write you a ticket and then you have to pay the ticket. And then you have to get points on your license and you have to explain to your spouse why you just wasted their money and all the stuff that goes on. And so we fear that and we fear that intrinsically. So if we fear a police officer who can issue us a citation, how much more should we fear? As Jesus said, do not fear him who can only kill the body, but fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hellfire. God as the judge of all the earth has the rightful authority to declare right and wrong. And we should fear that. Like, as a parent, 
I want my kids to love me, but I also want them to respect and fear the authority that I have. And you can have both of them. We live in a world that it's like, we live in an unnuanced culture. It's like our culture doesn't realize that things that seem to be paradoxes aren't always paradoxes. People say, well, why would I ever want to fear somebody who I love? And let me give you, so I said, not only should we fear God's authority, I think we should also fear breaking God's heart. I think part of loving someone is actually fearing hurting them. Like for me as a husband, I actually fear breaking Lynn's heart. And that's a good thing. Because I love her that much, I don't want to hurt her. I would never want to do anything that would hurt my bride. Because she's God's daughter and I love her. And I can love her and fear breaking her heart. In the same way, like I tell my kids, I tell Obadiah, especially with my son, I say, don't you ever make your mama cry. Don't you ever make your mama cry. And what's funny is because he always says, he's always like, okay, dad, I'll, yeah, I won't, I, won't, I won't break mama's heart. I'm, like, I'm serious, that's, that's my wife. But I want him to fear hurting his mom's heart. Why? Because he loves her. And because he loves her, part of loving her is fear. So it's not wrong in any way. It's not wrong. So our culture says these things are different, are disparate, but they're really not. I think maybe the reason we have so many broken relationships is because people don't love enough to fear hurting somebody else. And we should. And we should. So God's desire in us reading the word is first that we fear him. We fear his authority and we fear breaking his heart. And then we observe. Then we live. And notice the motivation for the way that we live is the love that we have for God. Religion is I behave this way so that God owes me. And Christianity, God loves us. And because of God's love, we respond to his love by living a different way. And so Are you a person of the word? Are you reading the word? Are you allowing the word to both teach you to fear God, to fear him as the authority, and to grow the love that you have that you might live differently? See, God cares about how we live. And I think, unfortunately, like, I believe very much in that we are saved by grace, through faith, apart from works. Like, I know that I can never do enough good works to get into heaven. Had some good days and some bad days. But I think what we have in the body of Christ today is we have an over-realized understanding of justification because we're so focused on making sure we know we're saved by grace apart from works that we forget that our understanding of grace plays out in how we live every day. We have a theology that's in our head of concepts that hasn't made it down to our mouths and our eyes and our hands and our feet. And I think what God is really interested in is a life that has been transformed by the finished work of Jesus. And the only way a transformed life plays out is in real time. In you with your landlord, you with your boss, you with your employees, you with your teachers, you with your family, you with your friends, you when you're having a bad day, you when you're out of coffee and you have a coffee headache. All these areas is where real life and the fact that Jesus is real is supposed to play out in our lives. God cares about how we live. And not only that, in verse 13, we're also learning that God wants this pushed down into our children. They didn't know this. Like the children, their parents are experiencing and God wants to make it all the way down to the next level. So from there, look at what happens in verse 14. It says, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them. And I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evil come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write down this song for yourselves, and teach it to the children of Israel, and put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I have swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Therefore Moses wrote this song, the same day, and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with them. Now, here we hear a little, it's a preamble, because by the time you get to chapter 32, we get this song of Moses, right? And so he's like, and the Lord's saying, Listen, Moses, I want you... To, you're going to die, I want you to inaugurate Joshua, I want you to come to the tabernacle of meeting. When he gets there, he says, listen, I have a song for you that I want you to teach the children of Israel. Why? Because they're going to rebel. And even before they get in the promised land, see, that's the crazy thing about God. He knows what's in us, and he calls us anyway. Like, he knows the children of Israel, they're going to rebel against him. He absolutely knows what's going to happen. He's like, look, they're going to go into the land, and guess what? They're going to see the gods of the land, and they're going to say... I'm going to go after those gods. Even though my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created everything, even though he brought me into the land, even though he's provided for me, he's brought me into a place of milk and honey that is everything that I need, I'm going to get seduced by the other things, all the other temptations. And he says, and when they do that, then they're going to suffer trouble. And we've been seeing that all through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, these curses that come with rebellion. But he says, but... I want to teach you this song because the song is going to be a reminder of who I am. Now, my friends, we've been talking about the word of God. This is why memorizing scripture, I think, is so important. Because when you memorize scripture, and whether you memorize it in a song, and I remember back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, there was a lot of scripture songs, you know, where they take Bible verse, they put it to music. You know, and in some ways it's hard to maybe remember a long verse, but when you hear it put to music, you can remember it. But verses are great because they remind us of what's true and who we are. And 
I think it's important for us to begin to memorize Scripture. Now, oftentimes people ask me, well, how do you memorize Scripture? I think there's a million different ways to do it. One, I think you need to make an intention that you want to memorize Scripture. So what I would say, before we had uh, mobile you know, smart devices in our pockets, I used to take an index card, I read a Scripture on one side, a Scripture on the other side, I stick it in my pocket. And every time I stop, before I, you know, because... Now I have my phone, so I just pull it out and you flick through the phone. But before then, you know, you're still ADD. So every time you stop, you pull the thing out of your pocket, you read it. And before you know it, you memorize it. And I would either memorize the two scriptures or it was an index card, so it would evaporate miraculously, you know, and then I would go on to the next one. But now, because if you have a mobile device, you can set your alarm and you can have a set alarm and put a verse in there. Every 20 minutes, your phone will buzz and you'll think you're getting a text message. And it is. It's the word of God. And you read it and you memorize it. And if you read it over and over again, that repetition will be the greatest teacher. Are you memorizing scripture? Why? Because the scriptures that you memorize keep you from giving into every temptation and running after foreign gods. That's what it's meant to do. And even though we wouldn't say, well, I'm seduced by the gods of the land. Let's be honest. We are. What is the gods of our land? Money. Comfort, pleasure, entertainment. I'm not saying that these things are awful. They're just, if you live your whole life for these things, they're terrible. There are, money is an outlet of spiritual power, but if it's what drives you, it hollows your soul out. Comfort is not a bad thing. I mean, the alternative is discomfort. But if everything you do is to take the path of least resistance, what is a good thing becomes you missing the life that God has for you. Pleasure is not a bad thing, but if you take pleasure out from under the authority of Jesus, you have all sorts of rebellion. So God desires us to make sure that he gets first place. And he's like, look, I know when you guys go into the land, even before I take you in, it's going to go on, but this song is going to serve as a witness. This song is going to remind you. It's going to remind you of who I am. It's going to remind you of what I've done. And it's amazing that even after God has fulfilled all of his promises, we still have a tendency to stray. And so I want to encourage you because I realize that for some of you, you're you're hearing this and you're like, God has done everything he's promised to do. He, He sent Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. He's given me his Holy Spirit and I still stray. And what I want to tell you is that God knows that about you already. And he knows that about me. God isn't shocked that we're rebellious. And I think that is why God has sent Jesus. That is why God has sent his Holy Spirit. And that is why God has put you in a family of faith like the Crossroads family. Because God knows that left up to our own devices, we are relentless rebels, all of us. That our hearts want to stray. They are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, as the old hymn says. That hymn that goes on. Here's my heart, Lord, what? Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God knows we're prone to wander. And if you're wandering today and you realize I'm wandering, just come home. See, the problem with, I always say it this way, the problem with being lost, being lost does not mean you're the worst possible person. It just means you're in the wrong spot, right? When someone's lost, it doesn't mean like they're the worst horrific person in the world. They're just in the wrong place. And God knows that we're going to find ourselves in the wrong place. And God doesn't get mad at us. God doesn't write us off. He just says, look, I want you to come home. And if you read the Bible, the Bible is a continual story of God calling people, 
people coming, being blessed, receiving promises, the people straying, and then God reviving them and bringing them home. And then what happens? They stray. And then what happens? God calls them and they come home all the way through. You read church history, guess what? Same story. The church, God's doing something, great revival, and then the people stray. And then God calls them home. And then they come on back, and then something fresh happens, and then what happens? They stray. And what's amazing is if you look at your own life history, guess what your life story probably looks like? That too. You stray, God calls you home, you have a personal revival, you know, you get baptized, you get born again, and then you stray, and then God calls you home, then you get baptized again, you get born again again, you know, and then God does a revival, and then what do you do? Stray, and then you get, God calls you home, you get baptized a third time, you get born again, 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 you know. But unfortunately, bad habits die hard, and some, oftentimes we don't learn these lessons. And so, look at verse 24 as I close this chapter on out. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, take the book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, then call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Moses wrote all this. He put this all in a book. And then he took it and he brought it to the Levites and said, I want you to put this next to the ark. Now, do you remember where the ark sat? Remember in that tabernacle, that portable worship tent, there was the outer courts, right? The courtyard, there was different things going on. And then you had the tent and inside you had what they called the holy place, which had the table of showbread and the seven armed candlestick and the altar of incense. And then you had what was called the holy of holies, but there was this curtain and then there was that ark of the covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the two tablets of the law. There was the little jar of the manna, which I have translated Twinkies. That's just my, I'm just kidding, but that's my personal interpretation of it. It's that bread from heaven with a little cream in the middle. Anyway, sorry. Some of you are like, Fusco's a heretic. He thinks the manna's Twinkies. The Bible doesn't say it isn't Twinkies. I'm just going to, let's just be honest. So... Anyway, and Aaron's butted Robinson, and he says, look, I want you to take this scroll of the law. I want you to put it next to the ark. Why? Because I want you to remember. Jesus is real. God had done some incredible things in the lives of the Israelites, but how quickly they forgot. It happens to us, too. Believers can have amazing mountaintop experiences with the Lord and then forget all about it when they're stuck in the valley. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you to think back often on what the Lord has done in your life. 
Remember how he's come through in the past and how your life has been better for knowing him. And let those memories carry you through the trials to come. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will remind you again to remember God. In this case, the Israelites would remember him in a song. The Song of Moses will reveal how incredible the creator of the universe is. It will remind the people of Israel and you that there's comfort and rest found in the Lord. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Cause and Effect. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. 